Philosophy versus Improv is its very own podcast. You should subscribe to it directly through philosophyimprov.com. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Bill Arnett, an improv tutor looking to become a philosophy tutee. I'm Mark Lintemeyer, a philosophy grand dame who's excited to learn improv. Each of us has come with a lesson in mind to convey to the other. We have two rules for the conversation. We're not going to say what the lesson is up front, and we're not going to take turns. When the lesson is done, we'll tell you what we learned. Our judge about 5,000 will decide which lesson produced the most profound effect. I think it's a great idea. I'm done taking turns. We are back by ourselves. No guests today. That's right. And finally, we can schluff off some of the dead skin and get down to brass tacks. Now, since we've kind of planned to maybe have guests every other time, that makes the alternating who goes first a little problematic. I don't think it's fair that I get to go first every time. Fair enough. That there is a guest. Well, if you want to go first today, then I can go first when there's a guest. Actually, I thought I went first with Tim. I don't even know. Why don't you go first today? <laughs> Start us off. Well, you're starting off next week. Maybe we'll make it random next week. Okay. Today's improv nugget, I guess, is less theoretical and more practical. Does that make sense? But I only like learning theory. I don't like the practice. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, improv by its very nature is intensely practical. The practice of it is in the moment, and it is very quick. And there isn't time, you know, theory, it's got to soak in, and, and it's going to come out how it comes out. This is not engineering. And we don't get to run all of our ideas by theory first. We just got to start playing, if that makes sense. I guess as long as the practice makes perfect, and when I say makes perfect, doesn't make my skill approach perfection, I, I wanted to actually create perfection the concept of perfection that was not there before okay yeah so it will prepare for perfection establish new standards well we've talked before standards are relative and we need to be careful projecting standards of humor onto other people and other things all right the lesson is kind of you're probably going to get it fairly quickly once the cat's out of the bag here but i won't theorize there we go on the why or the how or the, in what ways might this be practical? How about that? We'll save that part for the end. Excellent. For what, what did this technique achieve more so on a greater than practical level? I want to do a, a number of scenes fairly quickly to kind of demonstrate how this works. And we can take turns starting them, who wants to start them, or react to them. But it's going to be not a rapid succession, but, you know, minute and a half, two minutes each. Okay. Just to kind of see what's going on. And we'll go from there. Do you want to start first? Do you feel like you'd like me to start? I can start one. I don't know how. I need you to start this first one to see if you can catch this technique. What I want you to do is I just want you to say anything that's kind of slice of lifey, maybe from a particular person you know or an archetype you've been, you've had to interact with in your life. Certainly not mean-spirited. I mean, they may not hate themselves. Maybe they do hate themselves, but that's the person. But uh, if there's anyone you've met or an archetype you've had to interact with, feel free to go ahead and start with that. All of my ancestors live within me. And so... I have to churn within them to make sure I'm not taken over. This is this is something I read, sorry. Uh, I'm not taken over by one of my personalities, but I have all of history to draw on, and that's why I'm your god. <laughs> Indeed. In us all is a swirling maelstrom of heroes and villains and 
We are indeed trapped by all those inside of us. Trapped by their opinions, by their experiences. And once we get in touch with them, we can never get out of touch with them. Uh, you have to work on control. Control is the key to not becoming abomination. Becoming a mere tool of one of your past lives. Let me tell you, and I, that's something I try to tell my wife all the time. With varying degrees of success. If I could only channel one of my past lives that was a therapist and not a Nordic champion, perhaps I could get her to understand. I have all the therapists of a million ages within me and, and a million Nordic champions as well. I, I often let them play together. You know, I, I can set up sort of like a chat room where certain personalities get to talk to certain other personalities. Sure. It's one of the only things that amuses me at this point. The the whole world outside due to my precognitive ability is uh, not at all surprising. And uh, so really, that's that's what I got going. You uh, on the bride's family or the groom's family? Uh, I have I have both my parents uh, ancestries within me going back. Well, I mean, at the wedding. At the wedding, at the wedding. Are you with the bride or the groom's oh, family? Oh, I'm with the groom, of course. Okay, I'm with the bride's family. My wife's with the bride's family. I'm a plus one here. I did not expect to find another uh, half-worm person at uh, this event. I thought I, uh, with my eminence, was renowned, was the only one of my type. But I see uh, I have overlooked something. Perhaps uh, you are shielded from me. There are many of us. I can hear you loud and clear, brother, and uh, there are others among us, I must say, others with this intense ability to see into the past, to feel the pain, and also the champions, the, can I get you something to drink? I think there's a, they've got a special freak, it's a free, but it's an open bar, so that's nice. If I can get you something, that would be great. And again, just picking a drink for me is a struggle between all the voices, all the thirsty Voices who want any number of potent potables. I require only water, and that is merely for sentimental reasons. Uh, my body creates its own moisture and nutrition, but I do appreciate a, a nip now and then. Let me go. I'll get you a water. I think if I were to take a poll of my voices right now, they would be saying a brandy old-fashioned. So I'll get a, a water for you and a brandy old-fashioned for myself. Sounds good. Yeah, one water, one brandy when is this event to start? Okay, well, I think right now they're doing photo call. So they'll be joining the reception here momentarily, the, the happy couple here. How many of your past lives have stayed, have their marriages stayed whole? And how many have ended tragically? All marriages ended tragically in time. Fair. I suppose uh, the, in the way that you ask, I, I think the percentage is about 50-50. Uh, uh, yeah, me too. Me too. Throughout all history, I mean, before a certain point, the men thoroughly dominated the women and uh, there was no divorce allowed. But I would not call most of those uh, happy pairings in any, in any practical sense. And we'll call any husbands just murdering their wives as a divorce. But it wasn't really considered murder then either for much of, much of history. That was just, well, it's just something that happens, doesn't it? You know, as you say. You wake up in the cave and say, you know, I think I just need to murder my wife. That was, that's just how things were. Sometimes the worm in me takes over and uh, I might roll upon, uh, I, I am past the need for uh, sexual congress. Those parts of me have atrophied away long ago. Yeah. When you have the history of having made love to countless women, men, not sure, too drunk to know, too drunk to care. What is love in this body? 
really, when you've had that history of of so much, of so much. I revisit. I, I am the ultimate voyeur. I am the ultimate participant. I can be multiple partners at a time in the uh, mental reenactments that take up so much of my day these days. I'm at table four. Which table are you? I believe table four is where they put all the, the gargantuan creatures, so I, I'm there as well. Well, I hope this is buffet style and not uh, table service. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, I merely stay stationary at the table. Again, I, I generate my own nutrients. True, true. All right, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. We did it. Did you know what I was, could you tell what I was doing? I think you were trying to match my character. I should have just said, let's just try it. I'll start one and see if you can start one. Is that cool? Okay, go ahead. Oh, hey, you're outside too, huh? Yeah, I figured, you know, if smokers could get a break, then I think everybody can get a break, you know? It's nice to get out of the office. Yeah, just because we don't smoke doesn't mean we shouldn't get to come outside and and take in the view. Enjoy the fresh air. I mean, you got that computer screen, you know, staring you in the face all day, every day. It's nice to get some actual sunlight. Yeah, I pull up a, a screen saver of a, a, a sunshine, but it's not the same. And I have one of those those happy lights that gives you the, the broad spectrum, but it, it just, it's not the same. I feel like I'm faded and wilted. Hey, you, you remember screen filters? Well, that was a thing. <laughs> this company spent like 50 grand getting everybody a, a, a screen filter to put on there. <laughs> oh, those, things, those things don't work. I just felt like I was looking through a, like I was in, at a museum and I was looking through the, the thick glass that was there to protect the computer from me. <laughs> like the computer needs protection from me. <laughs> you know, the one thing that was nice, though, is that it cut down on the side. You had to, you had to look straight into it to get, to get the picture. So it kept people from snooping. Got to see what you're doing on the corner of your eye. What are they going to look at? My my sunset screensaver? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, look, I can have a browser window and multiple coding windows up at the same time. Okay, that's <laughs> I'm capable of doing those things. You don't have to bust me for having that. Uh, I could I could have three or four coding windows at the same time and the screensaver. It wasn't really saving the screen. It was just there for my my well being. Well, and you and make modern screens. Like I have to tell you. Don't really need screen safe technology. OLED monitors, you know, that's that's each each segment, each pixel is its own organic element. You know, you don't need uh, blah blah blah. Do you, do you remember those green on green monitors? Did you ever have one of those long ago? Yeah, monochrome. Yeah, command line. Yeah, and that's how you knew who really knew how to use a computer. Can you command line? We should get a T-shirt. I command line most of the time. How the, the OS slows down way too much if you don't keep to the the command line. I mean it. it there's no point in having WYSIWYG going really at all, I think. It's just for it's for noobs. Yeah, yeah. Visual user interfaces are entirely... That's what killed computing. I'm going to say it right now. Visual user interfaces killed computing. Yeah, it used to be just the elite that could use the computers, and then it... Uh, just once you create that opportunity, then, then all the products are shift their focus to the least common denominator, and, and you got a bunch of crap out there. Can I, ask, can I ask you something? If I showed you my novel, would you mind reading it? It's fantasy genre. I'm not going to lie, but it's... Well, I was, I was kind of hoping you'd ask that. been looking for sort of a consultant myself. I've been writing my own... I don't do stand-up comedy, but I write, I write down the routines. So maybe uh, we could we'd swap. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. It's kind of a fantasy. D&D style, you know, sword and sorcerer kind of thing. And... Uh... 
you know, directly? Is there elves and dwarves, or is it kind of like you make up your own? They're a little bit different than the, the I can't steal copyrighted property of anybody else, but... Uh, I don't think those... I think as long as you don't say the word hobbit, then you're safe. You know, the elves and dwarves and all that stuff is fair game. I don't want it to be too close because it's it's um, doing it a parallel release, hopefully, fingers crossed, with an RPG as well. So, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with... Um, if you have the characters in the book that behave according to the rule set of the RPG, well, then it's just that just answers a lot of really streamlines. Is it a very uh, luck oriented RPG? Is there a lot of rolling, or is it more uh, character playing? Uh, you know, it could be what you. It's pretty. The rules can get pretty crunchy, but I certainly, you know, the spirit of play. Thanks for thanks for reading it, man. Thanks for it's. Yeah, I hope you like my stand up. I mean, it's it's a little. You know, kind of like those uh, men are like this and women are like, you know, it's it's observations. Yeah. And relationship stuff kills. You know, comedians always, they always save the sex stuff and for the end and it always kills. Yeah. And everybody can relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate, certainly, a lot. I can really a lot relate to. Have you had a lot of, a lot of heartache, a lot of action, a lot of like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, a lot, but I can re- I can relate to. The foibles of sexual relationships. I can relate. I'll just leave it at that. Awesome. We did it. All right. That was scene number two. Not bad. <laughs> you did not make our characters stay with that voice. <laughs> well, you know, that's, uh, oh boy. Common improv thing is I lost my accent halfway through the scene. Oh, I thought that was part of the exercise. Uh, no, no, no. Audiences tend to not care as much as improvisers care about that kind of stuff, which is kind of funny. One thing, if you need a help, if you need like a uh, turn or phrase, you can repeat to find your accent again. You know, people talk about the whole park the car in Harvard Yard, you know, park the car in Harvard Yard as a way to like refine an accent. So if you need a if you need a turn or phrase that you know you can repeat in a particular accent, that can be a good thing to incorporate to your character. I want to do one more, Mark, if you don't mind. Am, am I hogging the mic? Am I hogging the time here? This is great. Okay. This one is good. I'm going to put the super challenge on me. I may not be able to pull it off. I may not be able to pull it off, but let's see if we can try. So go ahead and start this one, and I'm going to see if I can pull off the ultimate expression of this concept here. I'm slicing life. I have, it takes time to slice life. <laughs> All right. So up on the third line, you can see this one is a lot steeper. It's a lot faster. You're going to want to break a little earlier, but uh, it's it's completely safe, just like all the others. Yeah, yeah. You've got uh, four different things connecting you up to the uh, trolley here. You got your backup harness, and and I'll be at the other end. Yeah, yeah. Waiting for you, and your my my assistant here will be at this end. So uh, it's just like the previous one. I know you were a little scared by that one. Well, you know, I'm good now. I got you. <laughs> we're working together on this thing. I'm gonna zip down first. And then you're going to you're going to hold on. You got to put remember remember this time. Oh yeah. Keep the right hand on top of the trolley. When you break, it's with the right hand with the open palm. Yep, open palm. I got this. I got that. You're a great teacher. You're a great teacher. When you grabbed it and that kind of, you know, you really pulled your arm sort of that hurt. almost out of the That's, socket. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Uh don't do that. You just just press and I'll give you plenty of uh, leeway. I'll start waving my hand. So this one, uh, it's going to be about 100 feet up at some places. Oh, uh, wow. The ground okay. really dips down. The whole line is uh, about a quarter mile. It's quite, quite long. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something yeah. before we zip down? I, uh, you may not know this. I actually teach uh, driver's ed, teenage driving class. Oh, you do? So, so Yeah. 
This whole thing about you just got to dot all your I's, cross all your T's, you know. I totally get that, man. I totally get that. Okay. So, so you know, it's not the, it's not the same. Oh, no, no. I know involved. it's not the same. All right, I'm just all saying, right. I, I, I appreciate what you're going through. And, and I appreciate that you need to be extra clear if you see someone screw up. You know, that's what I got to do, too, you know. Yeah, I remember I always kind of resented those driver classes. I, I, you don't mind us just standing here for a few minutes before we uh, z- zip down? Okay. Yeah. A couple teaching professionals. I felt like when I showed up to the class that I was already uh-huh. supposed to know how to drive. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, I would, I would get, this was part of school and I would actually get a grade based on how I was performing. And I remember them saying like, uh, if the car's not going the direction you want, then you're going too fast. You use that phrase? Yeah. Yeah. But how do you know? I mean, until it's going, you know, I'm going like one mile an hour. It's just, I don't, you know, it's hard to teach the very, very basic skills. Here's the thing, you know, and that's something you got to remember is that there's a lot of people in driver's ed class, but the cool kids and the rich kids, chances are they've already driven before, you know, and even though they've already driven before, they're also most likely to yap about it, tell everybody else how easy driving is and how much they drive and then, you know, talk about their their experiences. And next thing you know, everybody in class feels the same way you do, that you should have already driven before you showed up at driver's ed, you know, it's just a few loud voices. It's just a few loud voices. That's all. Yeah, well, I don't get that too much with the zip lining because most people people don't have the equipment. Of course, they feel like they've done it though watching YouTube. I guess that's oh, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. I got a, a lot of know it alls kind of coming in, but you know they don't know how it actually feels. Yeah, yeah, I've watched all the all the Fast and Furious movies. Teach, so I think <laughs> I know. I think I could drive this. I could drive this car. Nope, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, yeah. There will be no stealing or, or assault in class. Well, yeah. I don't know. I, when I would play Grand Theft Auto, I'd, I'd actually obey the traffic rules. I, I know that's not the the preferred way, but... Oh, that's pretty fun. That's pretty... That's a, you're a game breaker. That's what you are. You, you gotta... I mean, when it's not actually going to be dangerous, you, you gotta look for opportunities. I mean, here, uh, uh, you know, I, sh- I showed you that thing that if you pinch your elbows together, you can kind of tilt to the right... And you can spin while you're doing a zip. That's a good technique. That's a good technique. I'm going to try that. But that's kind of the extent. You don't. You don't want to. In fact, maybe don't try it on this one. Let's let's save that for a, a slightly till you got Fair the enough. breaking down. And scene. All right, we did it, Mark. That one was a little bit different. I could I could tell there may have been some reluctance or unsurety. Unsure, I just invented that word, unsureness. But we navigated it fine, and we found something. Yeah. So I had thought from the first one that the whole point was that whoever was, was reacting was getting on the same wavelength, was, was trying to do the same character. So in my God or Emperor of Dune uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> voice, you, you match that even though, by definition, that character is one of a kind. So really, I broke your... Uh, oh, okay, fair enough. Your premise right there. But that's all right. It's, narratively, it worked okay. Then this second one... I thought you were starting us with kind of a Saturday Night Live silly voice thing and that you intentionally went through three different characters as they sort of <laughs> descended to levels of normalness. And I was trying to follow you on that. But you're saying that wasn't actually the intention. That was me being a poor player. Okay. <laughs> Just getting comfortable in that skin and, and then the, the affectation kind of melts away a little bit. It didn't seem like I provided anything. Str- I mean, I guess uh, instructor, but I wasn't providing a, like a, a strong character that you had to imitate. However, we did find something in that, though. Perhaps we can match behaviors without matching voices Mm. or roles or... uh, Does that make sense? Sure. Now, that's approaching 
the big lesson as to why there may be some utility in that. But the hint towards that big lesson is you don't have to match exact physical behaviors and physical voices to be, well, I'll let you fill, fill in all those blanks. You can fill in all those blanks later. And maybe I'll try to squeeze it in later as, as the show goes along. Well, it makes me wonder about this whole issue of resemblance. Great transition. What makes a character, you know, whether there can really be resemblance across media, say, that, you know, you can have, if we're both fictional characters, it's easy to have one resemble another. But you might wonder sort of what, in fact, I raised in one of our past discussions, the whole idea of how can an idea resemble a thing? And I think we're, we're, we're kind of, especially when we get to the point of metaphor or something, mm-hmm. we're very open-ended in what the resemblance could just be even kind of like, oh, it sort of reminds me of, of something. Sure. Let us stop and talk about our sponsors. First, better help. We all want to be happy, but sometimes things get in the way and it's really helpful to talk these out. And BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Just to clarify, this is not a crisis line, not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. You can send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to leave your house And if things with this counselor doesn't work out, it's easy and free to change counselors. This service is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. I encourage you to check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash improv. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash improv. St. John's College is for undergraduate and graduate students who seek meaning in their lives, who ask hard questions of themselves and their world, and who dare to free their minds. In small discussion-based classes, students grapple with fundamental questions that confront us as human beings and engage with influential works by some of the world's greatest writers and thinkers, from Homer, Plato, and Euclid, to Nietzsche, Einstein, Wolf, and Baldwin. This strong commitment to collaborative inquiry and to the study of original texts makes St. John's College a particularly vibrant community of learning, where students participate in lively discussions and immerse themselves in translating, writing, demonstrating, conducting experiments, and analyzing musical compositions. Through this, they learn to listen deeply and across perspectives and to speak and reason with precision. Explore 3,000 years of human thought in just four years, or two for graduate students, on campuses in Annapolis, Maryland, and Santa Fe, New Mexico. Learn about our undergraduate and graduate great books programs, including online graduate options at sjc.edu slash improv. There's a big thing in improv. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole idea of you have some kind of source material, at least long-form improv. Uh, anyone out there who's done a Herald or Armando Diaz or Ascat or any of the innumerable long-form things floating around, there's this whole notion of where inspiration comes from and why you do the scene you do. And perhaps someone reads a newspaper article, and then people do scenes inspired by that newspaper article. And the first level that people understand is, oh, 
here's this newspaper article about some new scientific invention, invention that perhaps feels like time travel. Let's say that, you know, something in the news about quantum physics and entanglement that kind of alludes to time travel. So, you know, you get a group of improvisers who've done very, very little and tell, hey, do some scenes inspired by that. The first scenes they're going to do are scientists discovering this quantum quark thing, you know, that, that, that's what they're going to do first. And then you have to say, well, we can only do so many scenes that just reenact what the article said. At some point, you've got to do, if we're going to do five scenes inspired by this article, they all can't be different. Re- well, with time travel, it could all be different reenactments of the same event. Wouldn't that be fun? But that's, that's extra. So what you have to start doing is divorcing the specifics from the article and trying to figure out what are the themes of the, of the article. So usually on the second attempt, it's still scientists, it's still time travel, but now it's having a little bit more fun, or the scientists keep discovering the same thing through time travel, or they keep you know, reenacting the same thing, but they're still scientists. But then you can keep stripping away specifics. And what is a scientist? Well, it's a thinking person. Someone thinks they have the answers. Oh, I can be a know-it-all, a know-it-all who's not, I can be a know-it-all who's a cop. I can be a know-it-all who works at a barbecue restaurant. You know, I can take this notion of scientist as someone who knows it all, and there's other takes on scientists as well, and simply steal that. And what is time travel? Why, why would we, why does time travel seem interesting or cool or what about it? Well, it's a chance to fix our past mistakes. It's a chance to possibly enrich ourselves, to have the adventures that we did, to go back to our, revisit our regrets. And again, now we're already talking about regrets. We're starting to get a lot of things when we kind of dismantle these ideas or these articles and try to find some of the deeper themes underneath. So everything you're talking about, how how can an idea look like an object and whatnot? Well, it does. I don't know how else to say it. It just kind of does. And as if we have some, any kind of source material, we can attack it and break it down and and break it down. Well, certainly, I mean, resemblance can just be any sort of carrying of the mind from one thing to another. But it seems like we have some ways that we organize what resemblances matter for what purposes. That if you, you know, you have an actor on a show that drops out and and somebody else, you're recasting the part and the audience is going to be familiar with the previous actor and they're they're going to see this new actor, then you have to think really hard, like which resemblances actually matter. Like, are you trying to you know, like fool them, like on I Dream of Genie. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> yeah. Where they just swap dicks somewhere in there. And I guess the guy looked close enough that at least I, as a young person, didn't even know there were two actors involved. I think the first one had the stringier hair, as I recall. Something like that. Yes. <laughs> but otherwise, and if no one mentions it, then maybe I'm wrong. Because no one <laughs> no one said he on the show was, you look different. No one said that. So maybe I'm the, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Or if you're going to, you know, Game of Thrones, we swap out the mountain. But, like, you just need a big guy. Like, that's what's relevant here. He barely talks, so you don't have to have... In fact, the second guy, I think, was of a completely different ethnicity, had a huge, thick European accent, whereas the first guy was British. So, and there was another guy in between, I think, that didn't even talk so much. So it sort of depends on, you know, you could certainly see ways in which that could go disastrously wrong if you... Find somebody that you know seems to have resemblance, but not in the correct way. Not in the way that seemed to matter. Yeah, you know this whole idea. I think it gets down to like you know what makes a cat a cat: tail, whiskers. You know, and now now there's other things that have tails and whiskers. If I got some improvisers on stage and say, "Be a cat," 
and I have send someone out of the room and come back in and say, what animal is this person? What could you do that would most successfully get, you know, we'll do that as a game. We'll send a bunch of people out of the room, we'll have one person on stage and say, you have one thing you can do to make the people think you're a cat. And it would bring everybody back in. All right, do your one thing. Do they curl up in a ball and sleep? Do they imitate having a swishy tail? I think if you licked your hand and washed your ear, I think that would be, oh, that's a cat. Well, that's a cat, isn't it? That would get the most people thinking cat. But that is an interesting point. Well, what is the, the essence of this thing? Well, yes, and clearly for different purposes, and this is not going to be the lesson because I don't want this to be the lesson of every <laughs> single goddamn one of my, my lessons. Uh, but, you know, in a scene, to capture the essence of a cat is not the same, right? If, if somebody gave you a robot cat, very accurate, still furry, you could pet it, seem to act like a cat, but you wouldn't just say, this is just a different kind of cat, or would you? I mean, at what point is a robot cat so accurate that it's indistinguishable from a cat? I think still, it's not, a cat is not a, an experience. It's not a functional type. It's an animal. And I guess if there's another kind of animal, somebody, I believe, I can't remember what TV show, but you know, had a, what they thought was a dog, but it was actually a capybara. It might've been in the tick or something. Anyway, you thought this was just a different kind of dog, but what is the essence of dog? Well, it is this kind of genus, something to do with their DNA, something to do with their evolutionary history. And so in the same way that, you know, anybody who's a primate specialist, if you say that an ape is a monkey, like, no, you're totally ignorant. Like, we're more similar to apes than apes are to monkeys. They're totally different branches on the tree. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you could insist that, like, well, there's a functional type of furry bipeds and those fit in it and we don't. But no, anybody like who actually wants to know what the essence of the thing is is going to get at the biological stuff. So in the same way... Mark? Yeah? Do androids dream of electric sheep? One can only hope <laughs> if they're programmed to do so. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what you're, what you're going for, yeah? Not to get all Blade Runner-y, for those who may not catch the reference. When it gets to people, like, well, what are we asking? Are you asking... So you, you train up some artificial intelligence to... Pass the Turing test. You, are you familiar with that term? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, so they can, they can fool you. And in Blade Runner, they had a special like visual test that some other... And you might say that there is a functional way of taking what another human being is that is, in other words, sort of an intelligence that you have to deal with. Whereas you would think that a mere machine, a mere your Siri, you don't have to pay attention to their interests. So right, there's a moral implication here. But that doesn't mean that even if you show that somebody is morally going to count as a person, that this really has the requisite consciousness or whatever, it doesn't mean you've shown that they're human. Like, that's not what human means, right? Yeah. Okay. Improv is weird in that it has to be very, it's, there's a high practicality to it. However, that practicality breeds or tends to breed, or I feel should breed, some quick utilitarian answers. And in some of the things we've talked about, when I ask you, you describe someone that gets under your skin, you know, if we want to go back to these behaviors and contexts, you know, and, and you ask anyone that. Most people I have asked, their answers go right to labeling a behavior, a repeatable behavior, a serial behavior. And, you know, maybe that's the essence of that person. It's this serial behavior. And what's informing that behavior? I, I don't know. Do I even care? Where did that behavior come from? Again, do I know? Do I care? 
in improv, I need to portray that serial behavior. Talks too much. Just a real downer. Yeah, I'm just sad all the time. Is it because they had some tragic event in their past? Don't know. Don't care. Right now, in this moment, what's important is this character A has to deal with character B, who's a total downer, and they've got a big business meeting coming up. You know, there's some context around those things as well. It would probably matter for your decisions in a scene if they're going to react to novel events, that you have some idea of, you know, if this is just a part of their makeup, that they're just a downer individual. So how are they going to react to good news, for instance? If this is just a bad day? There are transient emotions that, you know, any one of us drop something on our foot, we're going to scream and be grouchy for a few minutes. I would agree. In improv, you don't need to pre-know that. That's the other thing, too. you got time to discover that. Your brain can be thinking about that as, as you go along. And sometimes the cutesy solutions aren't always as interesting or entertaining or as door-opening as just the kind of the dumb, mundane solutions or the I don't know solution, you know, sometimes those things can be more fun. Can we do a little improv exercise here with the time we have remaining? Please. All right. There was a famous improv director and coach named Del Close, and his name's all over improv, particularly long-form improv, and a few other comedy things as well. He's been in a few movies here and there, struggled with drug addiction, a bit of a former hippie kind of guy, and had some hippie-ish stuff, you know, maybe some unsavory elements of his past, but people kind of hold him up. Some people hold him up as being a bit of a guru in, in, in the long-form improv world. And I think he certainly had some embarrassing moments and un-PC, some problematic parts in his history. But he had some interesting thing as well. And this is, I don't know if he stole this from anybody, but this is, from what I've heard, a direct Del Close thing. We're going to take an object, an ordinary object, and we'll, just, we'll, we'll do this kind of quickly here, and we'll see what we get. The first thing we're going to do when I, I name this object is we're going to describe it physically with the words, I see. Cool. All right. We're going to, let's do a toaster. I see a a black cord. I see the knob to push the toast down. Sure. I see two slots. I see an inviting place to stick my fingers. I see a shiny silver outside. I see my own reflection in the shiny silver outside. I see crumbs down in the little holes. I see that my reflection is a little warped, a little convex. I don't like the way I look in there. I see all kinds of wires and cages on the inside. I see that if I turn it over and shake it, that it sounds like a maraca. Perfect. Now we're going to switch to you are. And the you are is, what do you want to say to the toaster that begins with the phrase you are? You are brave and little. You are in my kitchen, on my kitchen counter. You are untrustworthy and could electrocute me. You are useful. You are marginally useful, only heating one half of each piece of bread. You are something I use more days than not. You are the heating device of last resort. Now, believe it or not, Mark, you're actually, you've been like one step ahead on all these things, which is A, interesting and fun, but B, I don't want to undermine the little exercise here. (laughs) Sorry. But no, that's fine. That's fine. You're doing great. You're doing great. I should have stepped in earlier. But what we're doing is we are invoking the spirit of toaster. So the next step from you are is, and you're kind of approaching this anyway, thou art. So it's like you are, it's like what is this thing, but we're making it more personal, more grand. We've lit candles around the pentagram on the floor, you know, thou art. Thou art a loyal friend I see every day. 
Thou art the residence of toasters through all my ancestral memories. Thou art the maker of pleasing smells and also horrible burnt smells. Thou art the place where the Pop-Tarts go. Uh, Thou art uh, ubiquitous. I can find you everywhere. Thou art short-lived. Thou art a symbol, a holdover from the 50s. Thou art a fire hazard that one needs to store carefully away from walls. Thou art a gift you people get at their weddings and never like. Thou art my first friend in the morning. I'm loving it, Mark. Do you see how how we've moved from it is to these, to my first friend in the morning? The final stage as we invoke the spirit comes out of the floor of toaster, out of the pentagram, and inhabits our bodies. And now it is I am. So now we're going to be describing this thing in the phrase I am. I am the first friend you see every morning. I am two slots open waiting for your nutrients. It's kind of gross. (laughs) I am everywhere. I am inconsequential. I am inexpensive and available everywhere. I am very convenient and easy to learn to use. I am breakfast. I am the soul of America. I am toaster. We did it. We did it. We're going to stop there. That was great. That was great. Have you done anything like that, Mark? No. Perfect. Now, from Toaster, we got to Soul of the USA. This should, this should, should have been a whole lesson on, all into itself, but it just felt like it's so appropriate for this, what is an idea and what is that and, and when does a robot become a person. But we move from the mundane to the holy, you know, in that little exploration. And if you're looking for scene ideas, for character ideas, your first friend, someone you see every morning, hey, Bert, how's it going? You just get to the office, huh? Oh, there's coffee brewing. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Well, I had a rough night. I don't care about your, you know, we get to be that first person we see at the office every day. Inconsequential. You said that one. I mean, gee whiz. You know, that's a great character thing to put on the soul of America. You know, again, those are like really interesting, juicy, heavy things that as an improviser, we're looking for. And the really good ones can do this kind of unconstruction, this kind of and reconstruction invocation is what it's called in their heads at the blink of an eye i can hear toaster sorry you're saying that we would play the toaster no no we're not playing the toaster (laughs) but we're just we're taking those human elements that we discovered living in toaster and then go portray those on stage i don't think it's an accident that the brave little toaster is brave and little (laughs) and not just like an irascible bastard toaster i i don't think that character would work well again it would be a person who's brave and little and i think that's a again that's a fun interesting thing that all, all came from toaster and so anytime someone says oh we got a really bad suggestion for an improv show what was it toaster it's like, well, uh, you got to cook it a little bit there's good stuff in there let me give one last little uh nugget here nugget here so in a different possible world if you were to find that this thing that you call a toaster that does all the stuff the toaster does was actually alive. Wow. Was actually a biological entity. So this is going the other way from the, the robot cat. Would it still be a toaster? Wow. It would, you know, the thing formerly called toaster. I don't know. Or do we change our definition of toaster? You know, we come across a planet full of sentient toasters. Or are they, is that an insult to call it a toaster at that point? A mere toaster. <laughs> Yeah. Again, it depends why you want to know. 
I'm imagining that actually the thing did all the same stuff that, you know, you wouldn't know just by looking at it or interacting with oh, it. Oh, it still makes toast, but just for no one. It's Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm imagining you're in this possible world as well. Fair enough. You're fair using enough. it and you just, or, or, you know, you discover right now that your toaster is in fact alive. Would you say, I just discovered my toaster is alive, or we discovered that this is not a toaster? I thought this was a toaster. It is, in fact, a living creature. I think, going all the way back to my lesson and this whole thing about matching characters and matching behaviors, and you even said, but by the end, we weren't matching voices. Mm-hmm. So I'll flip that right back. I think these things ended up being quite, there's quite a lot of overlap, a lot of connection in here. Well, our lessons overlapped because I just threw out the lesson that I came in with because okay. <laughs> it wasn't going to work at all. I, so I appreciate that. I'll, I'll hit that on a different day. What's the utility, do you think, in what was I doing in that third scene? Was I matching? Was I not matching you? Sorry, you're talking about the toaster exercise or the... The third scene with the uh, zip liners. Oh, yeah. You said you were you were matching, but you were showing that there were different points of resemblance. So you were matching in terms of this person's basic profession and i guess attitude but i wasn't really sure about that i was trying to match attitude okay it seemed that i was being business oriented and trying to show you how to get down the damn zip line (laughs) and you were irrelevantly bringing up your profession so in that sense it was not matching attitude because i was based on the task but at least i switched to adjust to you and we (laughs) hung out in the tree for a while and again task is a transient thing Mm -hmm. it's contextual who you are, just as you said, business-like. That's what I grabbed onto, this business-like approach to ziplining. It was not the hippified approach to ziplining. It was the business-like approach to ziplining. Does that make sense? Sure. And I think that is more about who you are as a zipline instructor, as in any job. You, have, you weren't born a zipline instructor. You're a zipline instructor. You know, now you happen to be, but you've always probably been business-like. Makes sense. All right. Did you get anything at all? Out of my <laughs> hodgepodge of ever-shifting philosophy bullshit this time. Oh, I didn't th- think it shifted around too much. Maybe you, you might see it shifting, but from my perspective, it seemed fairly linear. But what is, I guess you've tried to find what the essence of something is, or if you boil something down, or how are words... You know, it's easy to see that words are fallible. We can't possibly, it's unreasonable to have a word for, a unique word for every concept, you know, Mm -hmm. just the limitations of language, but how that kind of ends up screwing us up a little bit and maybe blinding us or affecting our perceptions, our inability to put words on things. And if what makes something what it is, if that changes or morphs, is it still what it was? Yes, (laughs) yes. So, I mean, despite my attempt to explicitly say this was not the lesson. The lesson was to some extent that what constitutes the essence of a thing depends on why you want to know, right? Depends on the context. What is the lesson really? And if the lesson changes, is it still the lesson? Is it still the lesson? At the very least, I want to pound home this idea that the nature of something might be different than its use. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So if we have two animals that seem to act the same, they're often confused. In fact, a horse and a seahorse, like there's a resemblance there. I was going horse and donkey, but if you... (laughs) Well, I'm not sure about the biological facts behind the horse and the donkey, but I know that the horse and the seahorse are not particularly well related. They do not have the same essence. And actually, I think my example that I used about 
the monkeys versus the, the apes is a better one, that those are similar enough from our perspective that they are often confused, but I don't think horse and seahorse share a phylum. I think they're no, just a no, exactly. kingdom they just and that's it. A surface level resemblance. And yes, in cartoons, they're both ridden <laughs> by uh, plucky characters, but that's uh, really just because of the you know seahorse's resemblance to the horse. And I don't think it actually uh, uh, snorts in the way that it, it might in cartoons. We then load all of our horse knowledge and assumptions onto that poor creature that we labeled seahorse. And probably it affects our willingness to eat them, too, because probably seahorses are delicious, but I don't want to eat one because it seems like... If horses never existed, what would you call a seahorse? I think, you know, it would have to be similar to a ghost because it would be like the absence of horse would be a, a specter that would haunt our existence. And so... uh it would become that much more spiritual. If there's no land horse, why is that thing called a seahorse? What if everything was just the sea? What if we lived in water world? Well. Then what? At what point does moisture become at the dew point? Cartoons have taught me that. So if you have a planet of like uh, chocolate pudding, then it's not like they just call each other. You know, they're all like, hey, chocolate pudding, Fred. Uh, did you eat your chocolate pudding lunch today? Yes. And I got on the chocolate pudding bus and I, you know. Yes. They put a cap on it, even though you'd think that since everything is chocolate pudding, they would not see the need to. But Wow. I think JudgeBot, I thought there was a tremendous correlation there. And I don't know if that was you shifting mid-gears to match my behavior, a.k.a. lesson. Mm. But there ended up being tremendous correlation there. And maybe that was you seeing the inner lesson of my lesson, letting that infect things and shifting over, adroitly shifting. And I don't think that adroitness can be understated. Well, as, as uh, much as uh, Judge Botts appreciates is, is patting me on the back for uh, being able to shift under pressure like that, clearly improv had the most profound effect in terms of, of the, the actual, what wisdom emerged this time. A makeup call from last week. I was just, I'm just going to go with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had fun learning from you today, Mark. I had fun learning from you today, Bill. And scene. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.